So now, hour three, another great hour. I have two guests in front of me. Um, I have Lee Cause, who's the executive director of Choices Pregnancy Care Center. And I also have Mary Ann McNeil, founder of PATH, which is Post-Abortion Treatment and Healing, um, two wonderful ministries that really emphasize life and what an important uh, topic that is today. So uh, first of all, welcome. Let me uh, bring you in, uh, Lee Cause. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having us, Elizabeth. Glad to be here. Uh, well, we're thrilled to have you. Uh, I know by your bio, you are married with five children and one on the way. We do. Congratulations. So you evidently are very pro-life. <laughs> <laughs> so how? Uh, tell us about your uh, family. How long are you married? How old are your kids? Well, I'm going on 11 years of marriage, and our kids start at age nine for our oldest and uh, go all the way down to age two. Oh, my gosh. And one on the way. Do you ever get any negative comments on your, your large family when you're like in the grocery store? I would say more just uh, kind of like implied insults, uh, you know, yeah, how do, how do y'all, you know, do you know where that comes from? You know how this works? And I got all sorts of answers for that. Oh, I bet you do. Yeah, we have the four boys we'd get. Are they all yours? Like, yeah. Uh, were you trying for a girl? I got that one a couple of times. You're trying for a girl? Like, no, <laughs> not necessarily, you know, but uh, yeah. So, so what's, what's a good comeback for someone who might, if someone has a large family and someone asks that question, you know? Well, I think the, the important thing is to, is to be careful not to take it as, a, as an insult, you know, be humble and use that as a testimony, you know, both for the gospel and for your position on life, that each child is a gift and, you know, you have the Adamic and the Noahic covenant go forth and multiply. So that's part of what we're doing here. And, you know, it produces a, a healthy civilization, you know, as it says in Mal, the purpose of marriage is to produce godly offspring. So there's no easier people to evangelize and raise up in discipleship than your own children, because you have such an influence over that. Yeah. So the the, the philosophy my wife and I have, and uh, she's Catherine. Hey, honey. Uh, we we're uh, about raising eternal souls, and we're very cognizant of that. That if, if we don't do our job of raising these kids in the Lord, then you know what, what did we have them for in the first place? That's right. You know, and I'm ahead of you age wise. So. Our four boys are now, you know, bearded young men and all, but I still look at them and, and am just amazed that my husband and I, together with God, created people. I mean, I, know, I haven't gotten over that. I mean, they're like 28, you know, to, to 18, and, that, and I just can't get over the fact that we created people. What a, a marvelous gift that we share, you know, with the Lord in creation. Um, Lee, you, before your work in pro-life, you were uh, in the secular world. So tell us a little bit about your secular background. Yeah, I worked as an engineer and I was a uh, manager for some Fortune 500 companies before coming into you know apologetics ministry and now pro-life. So uh, really, the, the, the people will ask all the time, why did you do that? Why did you leave a, a, a life of relative affluence you know, to come do missionary work? And uh, really, it comes down to, to influence. Um, I'm absolutely convinced, and my wife along with me, that Getting people on the grassroots level and reaching their souls is the only way that you're going to solve the rot and corruption of society. And uh, we pray and we are so grateful for businessmen and politicians who have the calling in that arena. Uh, but specifically, I had the calling to missions work, and that's just where I'm optimally effective. Well, how would you say your secular background kind of geared you and helped you in, in your current ministry? Uh, well, for, from the business and engineering, um, you, don't, you don't take any nonsense. Uh, the, the fact of the matter is you have a, a media climate and a political climate out there that's very hostile. And I call it the mad chihuahua effect because it's like you have, you have the, the forces of darkness, basically, that are backed up into the corner and they're making a large ruckus and a lot of noise. But that's a minority. Um, but you know, if you make a lot of noise and you seem vicious you can get people to back off and you can get people um, to do what you want them to do. And that's been part of political manipulation since time again, is a small minority of people just making a lot of noise. So I think it's very important to be able to see through the noise and to have uh, good and humble ways to stand up against that, um, but to hand, stand up against it with, with strength and tactfulness. You know, we can't, we can't be, as Christians, we can't be rude. We can't stoop to that level, but we do have to oppose it. That's right. So it kind of makes you a little business savvy because, you know, ministry, because I'm in ministry too, and, and it is a business. I mean, there are business aspects, just like this radio station is a ministry, but it is a business. And that's why we've been asking these, uh, you know, during these spirit drives for the help with the funding, because it does keep, you know, pay the utilities. They have a very tiny little staff here, um, but they have expenses and, and it is the work of God, but we depend on the generosity of our listeners. So 470-508-1160, or you can go online at the Quest Atlanta. Dot com. So tell us, Lee, you know, whereabouts in this path of your career, 
did you decide to make pro-life your full-time focus? And then did you meet with resistance and skepticism from family and friends when you kind of decided this <laughs> radical thing? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's when we first made the leap into ministry, you know, I come from a uh, Eastern European, uh, you know, Northeastern background, so we were very materialistic. When we left business to do ministry in the first place, everyone thought I was crazy. <laughs> you get all, all the comments that come along with that. But going into pro-life specifically, you know, people actually had folks in ministry, it's like, why are you going to put yourself into this kind of pain and this kind of fight. And uh, we really just believe this is the front lines. And if God has empowered you strongly with certain gifts, you have the obligation to use them. So, you know, myself and my wife, we weren't going to just sit back, you know, at the baggage train. We wanted to be on the front lines. And it was just neat how God confirmed this calling through things that were really outside of our decision-making process as we sought His will in it. Yeah. That's that's really cool. So your wife has been a partner in this from the get go. It sounds like. Oh, she she's an inspiration. She's the uh, you know she was in pro life since she's been uh, single digits in age. She was uh, a daughter of a pro life missionary, so she's very very passionate about this cause in particular. Um, I was a bit more on the university level. I liked argumentative apologetics and that sort of thing. Uh, but what's been beautiful about that is it's whetted our two passions in that um, we have the apologetic aspect, especially sure. you know, with the moral argument, the the image of God. But there's also the the practical hands of Christ aspect where lives are getting saved. There are, there are literally babies that are alive today because of this ministry that otherwise would not be. There are souls of mothers and of men who are saved and are going to come into eternity. Without this ministry, um, it wouldn't be. So it's awesome to see that apologetic theory applied in the real world. And, and from your vantage point, what does it mean to be pro-life? People throw that word mm, around, but mm. what does it mean? Yeah, that That's an excellent question because this issue has been so politicized. So let's first just say that when we're talking pro-life and when we're talking moral issues, that is where the church has authority. So we're not talking about a political issue here. We are talking about a, a theological church moral issue. Pro-life just simply means that you are pro-human life. Now, most people associate this with the unborn baby, which from the zygote is you know a, a genetic human being. It is undeniable. Um, all the way through natural birth, you know, and right after birth, it's still a human being. But this also applies to the elderly. And this is something I really want to stress to the baby boom generation, who's, you know, at that end of their demographic life cycles. Um, we are for you. We are pro elderly. We are pro senior. We want to make sure that folks have uh, humane care and that they're treated with respect and dignity to the natural end of their life. Uh, so this is, you know, we're against uh, the eugenics programs. We're against euthanasia. We believe that every single human being is created in God's image and has value right up until the point when God cuts their life short. Right. Because the more we turn that stuff over to the government, the more we're going to be like, well, you're not really worth it. You're not producing anymore. Out you go, you know, and you're right. There's a huge a population that are graying that are entering that stage and they, they better think twice about what 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 they're what side they're taking because their lives are going to be on the line and, and as you say pro-life covers the gamut and lee another word that gets thrown around i think a lot today is this word person mm. you know, what is a person and why is that important in the conversation well the conversations really shifted a lot here in 2019 you've seen a lot of things happen in politics before there was a semantic argument going on that says this baby is not a human being and it was a ridiculous argument because all the scientific evidence is from that single cell zygote that implants itself on the uterine wall all the way till it's born till natural death that's a human being genetically speaking so we we in the pro-life arena have pretty much won that argument. We are talking about a baby in utero. We're talking about a baby five minutes after it's born. Like, did you hear about this born alive bill that did not pass? Yeah, <laughs> Basically. Talk, talk about that. Talk about that. Uh, j just real quick, because I don't want to delve too deep into the politics, but this was on the federal level. And it was a very sensible bill that I think anyone of any political party, be it Republican or Democrat or independent, could get behind. And it's simply this. If a baby is born and it is now outside of the mother, there is a medical ethical obligation to keep that baby alive. And that's all the born alive bill said. If a baby is born, give it medical attention. Which is ridiculous uh, that it has to even be legislation. <laughs> I mean, hello? <laughs> exactly. And we have, we have some wonderful representatives and stuff here in Georgia that are, that are pushing to try to revitalize that. Uh, but that did, not, that did not pass in our government. And I think that says something important. But what we are talking about is we can, we can now agree that this is a baby that has been born. The argument has shifted from, is this a baby? Which now people on all sides of the argument are agreeing this is a baby, both in the mother and outside the mother. But is it a 
person. And personhood, you know, it's kind of this moving target of definition. You know, how do you call something a person? Is it because it has desire? Is it because it has potential? You know, that sort of thing. So the way we come down on it is once you, let's go all the way back, because you, you draw that line, you know, at age 60, is it a person, he's gone senile, does he lose his personhood? Or let's say you send somebody into combat, they come back with PTSD and they're not functional. Have they lost their personhood? Well, when you push that line all the way back in utero, all the way back to the zygote, what we would argue is that that, are, that initial zygote, that has the potential for a fully human, uh, fully realized human life. Right. That, is a, that is a complete genetic human being, and that, that is a person. Um, theologically speaking, it's also a person in the image of God. God has created human beings, and he's given them the image of God, and he's given them authority on earth. Therefore, what we're talking about is, it's, is from a theological standpoint, this is a divine declaration of, of personhood. This is a divine declaration um, that this person is going to be my imager. And maybe that, that baby will grow up and you know, be born and uh, it will maybe get hit by a car at age 12. Well, that's still a fully, fully realized person. Mm -hmm. That was still God's purpose worked out. His image was bared in that person's life for his purposes. That's right. You're listening to Lee Cause. He's the executive director of Choices Pregnancy Care Center. In a moment, we're going to talk more about what is Choices Pregnancy Care Center? What do they do there? Um, but this is Elizabeth Ficicelli, and I just want to remind us what we're doing here today. We're doing God's work by doing this fall spirit drive here at the Quest AM 1160. And you can uh, help us out right, to, to promote these really important topics of pro-life, of uh, post-abortion treatment and healing, which we're also going to be talking about this hour. Uh, and if you can pick up that phone, 470-508-1160. We've got a bunch of friendly volunteers here who are, they're just having a wonderful time back there answering the calls. You can make a donation in, in honor of something that's on your heart. Maybe you know someone who is expecting or someone who um, is having trouble expecting, uh, maybe just out of gratitude for your own family, uh, your own uh, your own life, you know? Uh, there's so much to celebrate on this topic and we will be glad to announce your first name, your parish, uh, and, and what cause you're donating to. Or you can just do that anonymously. That's fine too. But do get involved because this is only happening. You're only hearing this radio station because people before you have believed in it and put the money up and, and their prayers up to keep this on the air and, and to grow the station as quickly as it's grown. And I can tell you from experience, having come from a station that's been on the air for 12 years in Columbus, Ohio, you, you guys are, you, you just have no idea what you're in for, how, how life-giving this station is going to be in this diocese and, and how many good fruits is going to be uh, coming from it. 470-508-1160, thequestatlanta.com. Again, you can donate a one-time gift. You can do a monthly <coughs> gift, $20 or more. That's the St. Gabriel Society. $100 or more a month is the Founder Society and a business underwriter if you want to uh, support that way as well. So lots of ways to give. So Lee, back to you and, and you have established, you went into full-time ministry, you established something called uh, Choices Pregnancy Care Center. So what services do you provide? Well, uh, Choices, our website is uh, choicespregnancypartners.org, Choices Pregnancy Partners, if you want to get more information on that. And uh, this ministry actually predates me by a good 32 years. So it's, <laughs> it's been in the community a long time, and it's been stewarded by some fantastic individuals. So I was really blessed to inherit this. But uh, effectively, what we are is we're a pregnancy resource center. You know, some people will call us, you know, care centers or pregnancy clinics. But essentially what we are is we're, we're servicing women who are in a crisis pregnancy situation. And this can be women of any income level. Now, they do typically to be um, younger folks or folks who are below the poverty line. But we see people from every walk of life come through our clinic. And this is essentially a woman that is um, pregnant. She didn't intend to get pregnant. And she now feels that her life and her life situation is in trouble because of the pregnancy. Because with bearing a human life. There's a lot of different complications and responsibilities that come along with that. So the idea of the Crisis Pregnancy Center is, is really uh, threefold here. One is we're reaching the woman to address her and her problems right where she's at. So we're not this judgmental, thump you over the head with the Bible kind of environment. We really are here to receive you. Now, we are being the hands of Jesus Christ in doing this service to these people and in loving these people, but we're here to receive you and help you deal with and, and take stock of what is your situation now, 
what kind of resources and options are available to you. Two, we want to provide the best medical and scientific information to the woman about the choices that she's about to make. Now, that's why we call ourselves Choices. We're offering multiple different paths. So we do not offer abortion. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll get to that in a bit. Um, the, the third thing that we are the to, to hit more on the medical end of it, we do free ultrasounds and free pregnancy tests. And that's huge because even if a woman goes on to get an abortion here in Georgia, she has to have that ultrasound in 24 hours. So we can provide that for free. Oh, okay. And uh, this is all, you know, donor supported, just like y'all here at the Quest. So yep. we, we understand that plight. Um, the, the last thing that we do is the evangelism component because we don't just want the women to come in and we're not just, you know, just about saving the babies. We also want a transformed life. So when this baby is born, if this woman's going to mother it, we want that to be in a Christian environment, a Christian household. And we believe the only way to have a true fundamental transformation of your actions and your behaviors is to find Jesus. Great, 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 great. Um, and I'd like to kind of talk about what a, a clinic visit looks like. Mm. Um, you know, so real quick before we go to yeah. this break, we have a minute. So just sure, sure. a quick. Real quick, uh, what would happen, say, at our new Flowery Branch Clinic just off the 985? Let's say you have a lady. She's coming from Atlanta going to South Carolina to get an abortion because we now have the heartbeat law that's going to be going into effect here in Georgia. She might do a Google map search find us as a clinic and she'll pull off the highway and come get her free ultrasound and free and free STD. So she would go into there. She'd get to see her baby. So she gets the full, you know, full spectrum ultrasound. She gets the confirmation of pregnancy. Then she gets to sit down with one of our wonderful advocates. Oftentimes this is a woman who has had an abortion in the past and has walked this path. And she just goes over her options. And these can include everything from adoption to mothering to, you know, how to get a job and get connected in the community. Sounds great. When we come back, I want to ask you about um, if, if women are being manipulated by Christian centers, because that is out there. That, mm. that's, that's a lie that's out there. I want to talk about that. Um, again, Fall Spirit Drive, 470-508-1160 or the quest, Atlanta.com. That's the way to, uh, you can give. Stay tuned. The conversation's getting better all the time. Hello, I'm Father Rayto Davids. This is my favorite prayer. As a conventional Franciscan, it means a lot because St. Francis himself wrote it. It's the prayer before the crucifix. So let us pray. Most high, glorious God, enlighten the darkness of my heart and give me true faith, certain hope, perfect charity, sense and knowledge, Lord, that I may carry out your holy and true command. Amen. The Quest presents Mom Minutes with Cameron Frad from Among the Lilies. You are amazing and wonderful and enough. I think oftentimes we fall into comparison traps and we think, I'm not good enough or I'm not like this person. Sally has her kids in dance or Sarah's kids are on honor roll, whatever. Like the Lord knows that you are who's best for your children, right? And your main goal as a mom is to get your kids to heaven. It doesn't really matter. Like when you get to heaven, St. Peter's not like, hey, did you play five seasons of soccer? No. Oh, you had a bad mom. (laughs) Or were you on the honor roll? Oh, your mom didn't try hard enough with those flashcards. No, your job as a mom is to love your children, help them to know, love, and serve our Lord and get them to heaven. And the best mom you can be is accepting who you are. Be the best you you can be. You can't be Cameron Frat. You would be a horrible Cameron Frat. I can't be my friend Julia, who's amazing and wonderful. I need to be me. So be you, be yourself, and uh, get your kids to heaven. For more homegrown wisdom, visit thequestatlanta.com. So, you love listening to The Quest, but can't always listen live? No worries. Now with the Quest Atlanta app, you never have to miss out. Listen on demand, submit prayer requests, catch up on the latest headlines, and so much more. Available on the App Store and Google Play today. There's a great saying that we should be a thermostat and not a thermometer. A thermometer reads the temperature of the room and responds to it. A thermostat sets the temperature of the room. You're going to walk into lots of rooms today, lots of situations and scenarios in your life. Are you responding to everybody else around you, or are you setting the spiritual temperature? Do you find yourself constantly responding to how your kids are acting? Are you letting that determine the kind of father you are? If you got teens in the house, that's not a good idea. Are you basing the kind of spouse you are today on how good your husband or wife's mood is? Are you responsive to the virtue or lack thereof in your workplace and letting that determine how you interact with the people around you? No, no, no. Start being responsive to God. Keep the person He's calling you to be today front and center. If you're true to that, even if you're quiet, Whatever room you walk into, a wave of grace will follow you. Send us a message at connect at reallifecatholic.com. This is Chris Stefanik from reallifecatholic.com.
Hi, I'm Siobhan Finnegan from St. Jude the Apostle Parish in Sandy Springs, Georgia. You're listening to Atlanta Catholic Radio AM 1160, The Quest. It's a good day. Here at the Fall Spirit Drive at uh, the Quest Radio, Catholic Radio, AM 1160, and this is the Fall Spirit Drive. You can get involved by calling 470-508-1160 or go online, thequestatlanta.com. We're having such a powerful morning, so many great guests. Uh, We've just been uh, talking to Lee Cos. We're going to continue to talk to him. He's the Executive Director of Choices Pregnancy Care Center. And we've had so many calls. Uh, I just want to give a few thank yous, personal thank yous out. We've had Sally call in. We've had Marlene call in. Uh, We've had Randall call in, uh, all making generous donations. And this person wishes to remain anonymous, and that is totally fine. We have another founder on the list. So you get to ring our really happy face little yellow bell here. Um, Again, the founder is $100 or more a month. So thank you so much, anonymous donor, for that uh, generosity. So you can call 470-508-1160. Give a one-time gift. You can give a monthly gift in any amount. You know, we appreciate that or become a business underwriter. So uh, please do get involved with that. Uh, So as we continue our conversation, uh, Lee, we were we're just kind of talking about your Choices Pregnancy Care Center. We were talking about, uh, you know, what what is who comes there and and what does a typical day look like? Uh, You know, what's the purpose? What the services you um, provide? And what we sometimes hear is, you know, that some people might say, Mm, you know, do, do these Christian centers, I don't know, are they manipulating the women? Are they exploiting the women, you know, pushing their values on them? How do you address that kind of complaint? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, again, we're choicespregnancypartners.org. And uh, what you're referring to is a, is a propaganda campaign that's called Expose Fake Clinics. And uh, the, the roots of this, as I mentioned kind of in the beginning, we have all the opposition backed into a corner. Uh, they're coming from this position where it's okay to kill babies. And we as the American people are saying, no, that is an immoral action. And specifically, we as the church are saying, no, we're going to rise up and do something about the 2,000 babies that are being aborted every single year. Now, because we're speaking the truth, it's very easy to win these arguments because truth always destroys lies. And because we're coming from a morally solid ground, you know, we're we're defending the lives of babies. That's something that I think speaks to our basic humanity, the image of God that's in everybody, be they Christian or non-Christian. And specifically, it speaks to those who are, you know, following the ways of the Lord. So this this is a message that I think really resonates with a person of, of any faith. And it's something that I think that draws people to God. Now, as the victories have been occurring, both, um, I, I would say, politically and then also within the business sphere, if we want to call this the free market, the Pregnancy Resource Center model is a better free market model and it's simply out competing organizations like Planned Parenthood and you know other other organizations that provide abortions and the reason is because of the people we have a passionate grassroots movement on um, people who want to be the feet of Jesus Christ who write checks and mm-hmm. that allows us to be a 100% um, fully funded organization we don't make money off of the people that come in the doors right. so oftentimes we have this delicate balance where it will have donors say hey, why don't you guys go market some more, take out a big sign? It's like, well, it's kind of like if you're making car parts, but you're losing $100 for every part you make. You know, It's not in your best interest to make more. So we have to keep a balance right. between the amount of donation money we have come in versus the amount of marketing we do to draw people through. Now, pregnancy resource centers combined with many other factors are actually causing abortion clinics, their, their footprint and their influence to shrink. And as we've seen, we've seen federal funding cut to several of yes. the abortion industries, you know, which, which is great. And then we're just seeing, you know, in the in the free market economy, people are coming to pregnancy resource centers and then not having abortions. Now, at an abortion clinic, it is a for, a for profit center, and their pay point is when the abortion is performed. So they can do many other services and stuff that may be legitimate and useful to women, but they really don't pay the bills until the abortion is done. So the monetization pathway at an abortion clinic is directed at a single choice, and that choice is abortion. That choice is killing the baby. 
You know, that's that's really what it's what it's focused at, because that's where the money's made. Now, because they're losing this battle of public opinion, they've launched the propaganda campaign that says, well, faith-based clinics, clinics that hold to or centers that hold to a Christian philosophical mm-hmm. worldview are illegitimate because we have this theistic grounding. Now, that, of course, is is ridiculous on several accounts, because, namely Everyone has a philosophical worldview. So sure. we, we could argue, say, something under an organization like Planned Parenthood, they could have a, uh, a naturalistic or a scientific naturalistic or a Darwinistic philosophical worldview um, that views people as subjective uh, of subjective value. Now, what that means is the government or whatever body you have can assign value to certain peoples and then could assign values that, okay, well, your, your score is too low, therefore you can be killed. Uh, you know, so they're having to push back on us uh, because we're Christian. Now, there's plenty of Christian doctors out there. Uh, if you took a look at a lot of the hospitals that have been founded across the United States, they were founded by, you know, the Catholic Church, the Methodist Church, many other churches, the Baptist Church. So Christians have been involved in medicine. Christians are involved <laughs> in science. We just happen to believe that the ultimate root answer, when you divide everything down, when you're done, you know, in engineering, we have the five whys. Why, 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 why? When you're done asking your whys, it comes down to a single answer, and that answer is God created, God spoke. That's all we're coming from. And we provide some of the best scientific and medical um, methods out there. As far as accreditations, we're just as well-credited as any Planned Parenthood Center. And as a matter of fact, our particular center is uh, partnering with Life Resources of Georgia and several other agencies to get what's called AAAHC accredited, which is the same accreditation that you'd have in a surgical center. Now, that accreditation is much more than we want to have, but we just want to go completely above and beyond um, from a, a methodological and professional perspective. So you're it, you're not manipulating. You're not exploiting the women. You're not infringing on women's rights either. No, yeah. as a matter of fact, I would say the pro-life position is the most pro-woman position you can possibly have. And simply speaking, you have one woman that may have another woman, a baby inside of them. And what you're saying is the choice of this woman to end that baby's life is more important than a lifetime of choices that baby could make. So we're fighting for the right of that female baby and the male babies, who are both of equal value in God's eyes, to have a lifetime of choices and to fulfill their purpose as God's imager here on earth. What about the, the men in all of this, the fathers of the babies threatened mm. by abortion? Are they impacted and what rights do they have? Um, this this comes down to the whole Roe versus Wade issue, and uh, unfortunately, the the male in the situation is, has been cut out from a legal standpoint. And the woman can obtain an abortion and everything without him even knowing she's pregnant. Um, you know, so we we'll leave that to the the politicians and stuff to discuss how they want to do it. But what we're doing to practically address it right now under the structure of the laws of our country is that we want to engage the husband, or more often, you know, the baby daddy, the the unmarried man who's involved in this. We want him to be enfranchised as a part of this decision-making process. Now, this is not something that's done to coerce or manipulate the woman, but simply to get him to step up and take responsibility for his part in this whole thing. This woman should not have to be in this alone. And it's very encouraging how many men are actually willing to come in and take a look at these ultrasounds. And what also is encouraging, because a lot of times, you know, we look and say, oh, those millennials, all those Gen (laughs) Zs, yeah, and, and all these stereotypes that come with it. When some of these young men, many of whom are fatherless, they grew up in divorced households and they they don't have a great male godly example, they see that baby moving around on the ultrasound. Something rises up inside them and they say, "That's that's my baby," and that that protector instinct kicks in. And I've and we've seen guys look at the girl and say, "Look, you know." It's not going to work for us long term, but I'm going to stay with you and we're going to see through this to adoption or till we can hand it off to grandma or till, you know, we've had a couple of them actually just take it on themselves. So as we're as we're talking about this really important topic and, and you're and you're uh, leading this this uh, Choices Pregnancy <coughs> Care Center, uh, we see this is an important topic. It's a hot topic. How do people get involved in the pro-life movement? How, how what would you suggest if people are like, I, I got to do something. I can't just sit around. I got to take part in this. Right. Well, I think the first thing you do is you sit down, and you pray. Where does God want your talents to go? So first off. The way we look at it at Choices, you have the hands and the feet. So the hands are doing the work, the feet are enabling. And you at the Quest here (laughs) understand that as well. Now, the feet largely, these are going to be your donors and that kind of thing that enable 
the ministry to be done because without the feet, the body does not stand. It doesn't move. It doesn't go anywhere. So that is a holy calling to be a donor and to be a financial supporter, both of a pregnancy center and both of you know, the Christian radio. Um, to get involved in something, say, specifically like Choices, we have advocate positions. So these would be volunteers that come in, and these are the women that actually sit down and meet with the folks who are having the crisis pregnancy. And we put them through a training regimen that, you know, in, uh, that shows the, uh, the pro-life position, all the different things that they're supposed to discuss. And um, we also have uh, positions just uh, in, in general volunteering. We have a 5K that's going to be coming up on, uh, nice. in October. So we always need volunteers for that. Great. So um, again, Lee Cause, Executive Director of Choices Pregnancy Care Center. Uh, tell us your website again. So. The, the website is choicespregnancypartners.org. That's choices with an S, pregnancypartners.org. That's going to take you to our supporter site. So that shows you what we're about as a business structure. Now, if you're interested in directing someone to us for services, um, you just go to uh, choicescarecenter.com or okay. .org. Sorry. Great. Well, this has been enlightening, uh, uplifting, and we thank you so much for, for taking a half hour out of your time to be with us today. I know you're busy. I know you've got things to do, uh, so we're going to let you go. But um, again, all our thanks, our heartfelt thanks here at The Quest for, for the good fight that you're doing, and we're so happy that we can be supporting you in your efforts. Well, we appreciate it, and uh, just thanks out to the, the team over at Choices, because they're the ones that make it happen. Oh, amen, brother. Okay, Lee Cause, thank you so much. You have a great day. Thank you. Boy, what really great information on an important resource out there for women who may be conflicted or in need uh, with an unplanned pregnancy. But what about the women who have already made the choice to abort? You know, where is help for them? We're going to learn more about that in our next half hour, as we're joined by Marianne McNeil of PATH, Post-Abortion Treatment and Healing. But before we go to that, we are going to turn to a clip, and it's it's pretty relevant to our conversation we just had. We touched on Planned Parenthood, but it is a, uh, a, a clip from Catholic Connection with Teresa T- Tamio. It's heard Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern, right here on AM 1160. Uh, and this is an interview with a former Planned Parenthood worker. Stay tuned. Let's go over to Jane, Jane Mitchell-Werbrick. And Jane, uh, your story, you, you became known as a whistleblowing nurse at Planned Parenthood, working there for a short period of time. Talk about your own thoughts when you went to work there, and then what caused you to so quickly leave. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Yes, thanks for having me. Um, I actually went to Planned Parenthood thinking I was going to help women. <laughs> and, uh, of course, that was definitely not the not the goal of Planned Parenthood. Um, I went helping to... I actually went in to talk to them about how I could work. Um, It was a long story of how I got in there, (laughs) but um, it was through Girl Scouts, and um, it's kind of a funny. It's kind of a funny story. But when I went in, I um, had said, you know, my my goal was to teach, you know, to be able to help women to not become pregnant, to avoid pregnancy, and if that's what their, you know, that's what their desire was. And they said the best way to do that was best spot was in the recovery room. And they were excited to have a nurse that would want to be able to do that. So that's how I got into Planned Parenthood to begin with. Um, As far as uh, staying a short time, I was there 23 days and uh, quickly realized it was an absolute nightmare. And it was unsafe, unhealthy, just flat out abusive to women. Okay, in what ways? Can you give us some examples? Well, it was really, it was, they, they broke all the rules. Um, I've been a nurse, so I was a nurse for, you know, I'm a nurse still, um, for over 30 years. And I had worked in a hospital. So working in a hospital, you know, there's guidelines and protocols and procedures. And at Planned Parenthood, there were none. Um, there were no, uh, no, no guidelines, no procedures, protocol books, anything. And you have to have these things to be able to function safely um, in a health, any kind of health care uh, institution. So um, I was really surprised when they would say, Jane, can you push this medicine? And I was like, where's the IV manual? Because you need to have, you know, you need to know how much of a medicine you're going to be pushing through an IV and how fast you're going to push that medicine. There's rules to everything. And they were like, oh, well, we don't have that. Uh, just push it slow. Well, slow is not good, so you can't do that. So um, I, of course, refused to push that medicine because without an IV manual, like without guidelines, that would be reckless and dangerous. So I said, yeah, I can't do that. I can't push that through there, you know. So it was just, um, it was it was horrible. I mean, the the care was unbelievable. I, I Because I had worked ever since I was a, 
a nurse in a hospital, I was used to following rules, regulations, and a big, I'm a big rule follower. So um, going here, I was just shocked. I was like, and even to the other nurses, I would say, is this how all clinics run? Like, this is a mess. And, you know, even the HIPAA rules were violated. Um, I mean, just everything was violated. The, the women would come in. They would line them up in the recovery room um, side by side, no, no partitions between them, no, you know, not even a curtain in between them. So they would line up right next to each other. It was just, I mean, horrible. I mean, there were incidents where patients would know each other. They would say, oh, my goodness, I can't go in there, you know, because I know her. Or she's a neighbor. And it was like, well, that's the only place we have. <laughs> So it was just, it was, um, it was horrible. I mean, as far as I could go, I mean, the doctor, his name was Dr. Timothy Libright. Thank God he no longer is um, in our state, unfortunately. He, um, he, he decided to give his license here, but he is now practicing in another Planned Parenthood, um, last I heard. And, um, but he would go out to get patients because he was in a hurry, and he wanted to hurry it up, let's go, let's go, was his thing. And he would even go out into the lobby himself and say, okay, next patient back here, and he'd bring patients back himself. And it would even be before the tabletops could get cleaned from oh bloody gosh. drainage that was on mm. there beforehand. It was terrible. Mm. <laughs> yeah, instruments that weren't sterile. Um, you know, there's a special marking that comes out when you know things are sterile. And in a hospital, you see that marking and you know it. Here at Planned Parenthood, they see that, but they don't care. Um, the equipment, because they were doing so many patients, the volume was so high of patients, they didn't have enough instruments um, to accommodate that, to be, you know, performed sterilely and clean. It was just, it was, it was absolute nightmare. Wow. Welcome back to the Fall Spirit Drive here on AM 1160, The Quest. I'm Elizabeth Ficicelli, uh, continuing uh, a wonderful, positive, uplifting conversation with a multitude of guests today, the first day of a four-day Spirit Drive. And the phones have been buzzing and emails have been coming in. So that 470-508-1160 is the number you want to write down. And thequestatlanta.com is the way you can donate online, thequestatlanta.com. I want to give a thank you to Marie, to Patricia, to Bruce and Sandy. These are all people who have been making donations just this past hour uh, to John, to Rachel, to Laura, to Brian, and to Barbara, who has made a gift in honor of our next guest, Marianne McNeil, who is the founder of PATH, Post-Abortion Treatment and Healing. Marianne, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You know, Marianne McNeil is the founder of PATH. It stands for Post-Abortion Treatment and Healing. Uh, A social worker by background, she noticed a great unmet need in the lives of women who were suffering emotionally following an abortion experience. This would lead her to create PATH in 1996. And since then, they've been saving hundreds of women and men in the Atlanta area. So we are so blessed to have you. Uh, This has just been uh, such a great morning. We've had so many uh, pro-life conversations and uh, abortion and the aftermath of abortion is such an important part of the equation. So Marianne, why don't you start by uh, telling us how you personally got involved in this whole movement? Well, I knew of five um, friends, uh, women who were close to me from the time of high school, college, and my young adult life, and they had all had an abortion. Um, They were all suffering in different ways. Um, And I saw this and there wasn't anything for them. And having a background in social work, there really is support for just about any other um, suffering that there is. And there wasn't anything at the time. So that was very disturbing to me. I had no way to help them. And then later, um, I worked as a social worker and a volunteer for an Atlanta high school. A friend of mine, Bill, was a counselor at the high school where I worked, and he referred a young lady, Susan, to me as she was having difficulty at school. So I began working with Susan, and I soon discovered that she was pregnant. And although she considered abortion at first, she was open to adoption, and she herself was adopted. So uh, together we put together a plan with some resources to look into for adoption. And her parents didn't know yet that she was pregnant. Mm. So our plan was to present these resources to her parents right after she told them she was pregnant. And we were hoping they'd be open to our plans. So shortly after this, I was at home nursing my new baby girl. 
I had a little girl, Celeste, who was just a couple weeks old. Mm-hmm. Um, the phone rang, and this was this was before a cell phone. And so I could not get to the phone. I was nursing my baby. I finished nursing my daughter, Celeste, and the phone rang again. And it was Bill, the counselor, who had referred Susan to me, and he reported that Susan had told her parents our plan, and they insisted she have an abortion. Mm. So she then tried to call me. She went upstairs, took a lot of pills, and attempted suicide. Oh, dear. And she had called me, and when I didn't answer, thank God, she called Bill. So Bill was able to get her to hang up the phone, and he called her home and got her parents, who did not know anything was going on, and argued with him for a minute. And he said, she's upstairs in the bathroom. She's taking pills. Get her to the hospital. So they did. Um, I was able to get the name of the hospital where she was, and I called them panicked, urging them not to force her to have an abortion because I thought she might attempt suicide again. And uh, they very firmly told me that her parents had directed her and all the staff to not talk to me, and I was forbidden to talk to Susan ever again. Hmm. So I was completely cut out. Um, Of course, everybody's thinking was, this girl is so unstable, of course she can't have a baby. And so the abortion was done, Mm -hmm. and she did attempt suicide again. Mm -hmm. And luckily, that attempt also failed. But I never knew what happened to her. And again, this was pre-Facebook days, pre-internet. Right. Um, And I was devastated, and I blamed myself. Um, So I didn't know what to do with myself. So I called Father Kayat Manjurasena, who was the priest at the parish at the time that I was attending, which was Holy Cross. And he was wonderful. He directed me to a a wonderful woman named June Webb, who uh, was in the pro-life movement. And she kind of peeled me off the ledge and embraced me and my story and introduced me to the pro-life movement. And um, a few years years later, I began forming small informal groups uh, with a colleague at St. Jude's Church in Sandy Springs. And that's how Path Slowly began it's really not, i was gonna say funny it's not funny it, but just it, it's so interesting how the lord takes our experiences and people that we encounter their stories and you know that that obviously stayed with you and and susan you know we, we pray for her where, wherever right. she ended up and right um but that her her tragedy and uh w- was still life-giving because she you know the lord would take that and impact yeah. you and yeah. work through that and you have been in the business of really helping a lot of women who are suffering and we're going to unpack that in our conversation but you know my i guess my 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 next question to you is you know we're we're in this age where you know it's 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 popular to be pro choice right and everyone's like waving their signs pro choice pro choice pro choice but with all that people screaming pro choice do you think there's still a stigma about abortion are people are women still hesitant to talk about it that they've had an abortion in the past what do you think yeah i do think so i think there's just kind of a um instinctive feeling that women have to be mothers and to be nurturing and to be helpers to be serving and um i think when that's thwarted it's like this it's instinct this internal wail that mm-hmm. there's something wrong mm-hmm. you know and um i think that you know we've worked with people of all different faiths and and they'll tell me this that it's not a specifically catholic guilt we don't have the you know <laughs> ownership of all guilt right. but it's um it just seems to be a natural inclination for women to be nurturers and when that's thwarted that hurts yeah it's like we turn yeah. against our very nature we turn you know against ourselves yeah. and yeah. you know again the, the 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 rally cry is oh you know oh i had an abortion it was no big deal you know and and you should have one too and yet you have found very much in your ministry with with path post abortion treatment and healing that People suffer in the aftermath of abortion. People need PATH. Why do people right, need PATH? Right, Well, most women, honestly, um, their, their first feeling is relief when they get an abortion. And that might just last an hour, or it could last a few days, or it could last a few weeks. And then these feelings of fear and sorrow and grief start to creep in. And um, women have depression, anxiety, um, some women are, um, they are um, almost allergic to going to the doctor after this. And anything that reminds me of a doctor 
or the building or the street that the abortion clinic was on. They need to avoid it because it triggers feelings of, mm-hmm. you know, panic. Um, so there's crying jags and there's distance from God and there's isolation and there's this feeling that if anybody knew about me, they wouldn't like me and they would judge me and no one can ever know this. So there's a lot of isolation and private sorrow. Yeah. And and does everyone have symptoms after an abortion? You know, what like someone might be saying, you know, I had an abortion 20 years ago and I don't think I ever had any symptoms. Should they expect they will have symptoms one well, day? Well, you know, that's that's interesting. Not everybody suffers to the same degree. I think everybody has something. Um, a lot of people are very good at denial and stuffing their feelings. They're just very good at it. And they may not um, have these feelings even triggered until they're much older. Maybe they're going through menopause and they realize, oh, my gosh, that was my one shot, you know, or, you know, uh, maybe they had multiple abortions and I think that's why I'm never a mother. I can't be a mother. And then it will hit them then. But um, I, I do find that the closer people are drawing to God, the more they suffer because God is calling them to him. He's calling them to do something about this, to heal, to come to him. And so if you don't have God in your life and you're busy, 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 you really can avoid a lot of pain for a long time. But I think eventually it comes back to hit nearly everyone. And I think about the other people that are impacted by abortion. Let's start with the men. You know, uh, do you work with men too? Because they're victims, aren't they? Right, right. We, yeah, they're sort of the forgotten population sometimes in the pro-life movement. And just like Lee was saying before that, um, you know, men matter. And they, the symptom they most often tell us that they experienced was anger and rage because they really didn't have any control over their, you know, their loved one getting an abortion. They had no control over it. Some men who did pressure their girlfriend or their wife to get an abortion, they have the same sorrow, the same grief, the same remorse. Um, They, some of their symptoms, you know, they'll get into drugs and alcohol or pornography or um, have a lot a lot of um a lot of addictions but mostly it's anger and rage and just feeling like you know they lost their masculinity yeah they didn't get to protect and provide for their child you know as we we talk about abortion most of us think about a surgical abortion but there's another way babies are aborted and that's that morning after pill the ru486 um but does that have symptoms of you know yes, similar symptoms. you know we were surprised in path how bad ru486 is and um it uh we were hearing from women stories of just uh bleeding and bleeding and bleeding almost hemorrhaging i did have a young lady come to me who had almost died um she was bleeding so much so it seems like gosh it's so easy instead of having to go for a surgical abortion just take a couple of pills and you know, how easy, but um, the the problem is you are by yourself. You go home. You don't know when the baby's going to be passed. I had two different women tell me they were on the road. They had to pull over. They lost their baby in a gas station bathroom. Mm, gosh. Two women told me that story. It was, it was odd because it was within a few weeks of each other that they told two different women this happened to. So... But you're alone. And if anybody's seen the movie Unplanned, it's yes. really, it's very, that was very realistic. Yes. That was very moving and hard to watch. That but, scene was very difficult to watch. But, um, you know, film. Abby Johnson has said that it was actually worse than that. They toned it down for the wow. movie. That was, that was a really hard scene to watch. So you know, <laughs> what, what kind of woman is walking in your doors at PATH? And then what services do you provide to her? Well, we have a little bit of everybody. We have people... We've had people as young as 17, as old as in their 80s. Um, one of my facilitators, Jody, visited a woman in a nursing home who was needed to deal with her um, her past abortion. So, and we have really every ethnic group and every Christian denomination represented. We've also worked with Jewish women who are looking into Christianity. Just a couple, just a couple, but we've had that. And then what, what do they receive there? What, what kind of healing can they get? Well, when, when we're on the phone with them, excuse me, we try to discern and they try to um, help us discern what is best. And the, the two primary ways that we deal with them are a Rachel's Vineyard retreat, which is a weekend retreat process. And then we have a 
weekly Bible study called Save One. And the retreat is done over a weekend from a Friday to a Sunday. And the Bible study is about 10 weeks, about an hour and a half to two hours each week. And um, they they're they're beautiful programs. We did not write these programs, but they are um, programs that are uh, actually um, international now. And they sort of we I like to say that the retreat works on the heart. There's a lot of sensory exercises that we do all based on scripture kind of brings Jesus to life. And you are doing things it you don't sit and listen to talks you you hear a scripture there's a meditation and then there's an activity that follows and you're just invited to do it you're not made to do anything but brings jesus to life and um it's it's very it's it's uh i do find that men like it i think men are a little bit more action oriented and so there's actually things you have to do on the retreat to work through really grief, sorrow, mm-hmm. forgiveness, feeling abandoned, feeling um, betrayed, and shame, guilt, all those things. Right. And in the Bible study, it slows you down. You have time to process with other people in a small group. You know, what is Jesus saying in the scriptures? Am I really forgiven? Where does it say that? I want to see where it's written. Where, you have to look up scriptures. You come back, you do homework. So you have a little more time to process. And I like to say that's more the head level, but that's also heart too. And it's good to do both because you might need more um, than just a weekend. You might need more time to process. True. So if someone's listening and they maybe they themselves have been through abortion, maybe they know someone who's really suffering, uh, how do they find out about you and PATH? Well, they can go to our website, which is healingafterabortion.org, or they can call Um and we do have a retreat coming up october 11th through the 13th we still have room and that's on the website that's on the website uh so marianne mcneil founder of path post-abortion treatment and healing we are so delighted you shared this with you um i just want to say Teresa is a friend of yours she just called to make a donation while you were uh, sharing your story and we also (laughs) have angela and veronica thank you both for making your donations so uh we thank you so much again marian mcneil great stuff great work at path keep up the good work thank you Uh, this is elizabeth ficicelli uh i'm going to be closing out this hour Uh, But I will be back from three to six this afternoon, including an interview with Dr. Scott Hahn to finish the day up at five. So do stay tuned this afternoon and taking over the mic for uh, me now in the next several hours is Greg Willits. He's wonderful. Uh, And I want to give a shout out to Annie Porter, my uh, producer over here who's running the board the whole day. And that's a big job. So stay tuned and call that number 470-508-1160 or thequestatlanta.com. Keep it on this dial. God bless.